What's shaking, Fire Nation? JLD here, and welcome to a bonus Entrepreneur on Fire episode. This is the income report for June of 2017, and June was a doozy for a couple reasons. So you're going to definitely want to stick around for this one. You know, we always talk about how we love our income reports because we get to share what we're doing right so that you can really just kind of follow our lead there and hopefully do some things right in your business. But also we share how we do things wrong and the struggles that we encounter and how you can maybe avoid the missteps and and the rabbit holes that we fall down. And we have a pretty big rabbit hole that we're going to be talking about here today. Um, So we're kind of really coming true to that side of the struggling section of our month of June. So you're definitely going to hear this because This is one of those areas where being penny wise uh, can be pound foolish. So we're going to be talking about that and so, so much more. But real quick, what is the June income 2017 at a glance? Well, our gross for the month of June was $178,000. Our expenses were a cool $43K for a total net profit of $135,000, which was a $20,000 increase from the month of May. Uh, which is pretty cool because, you know, along with that huge struggle we're going to be talking about, we also spent the entire month um, on semi-vacation. I was in Maine for almost the entire month. Kate was in Maine for part of the month and San Diego for another part of the month. So we were, you know, doing our thing and keeping up on emails, et cetera, but we really weren't working hard and we really weren't producing new content. We were just kind of keeping up on what we needed to to make our business run. But it's pretty awesome. You can see a $20,000 increase on a month when that happens. But as always, we have the lovely Kate Lynn Erickson joining us and the studly Josh Bowerly of CPA on Fire. So what's going on, guys? What's up, Fire Nation? I'm so happy to be upgraded to studly. Josh, studly! I was just going to say, Josh, this is like a new thing. It's, I think, what is it, three years in now? I've been upgraded. <laughs> well, I was trying to think, you know, I'm calling Kate classy all the time. And I'm like, what's like the equivalent for a dude to be classy? Because a guy can be classy, but, you know, I figured you want to be studly. And you were talking about, you know, hefting around your twin boys and stuff. So I'm like, he was probably packing on some muscle there, you know, carrying those guys around. So I'm pretty sure you're pretty studly, Josh. Although we're still waiting for your uh, Puerto Rico trip, buddy. We're going to make it happen. <laughs> Definitely. So Josh, you get a CPA on fire month tax tip as always. So break it down for us. What do you have for us today? Yeah. And I think uh, this month we're going to talk about what I think is the most exciting part of a business. And that is the startup phase of a business. And I'm sure you remember Entrepreneur on Fire is just getting started. You're filled with all those hopes and dreams and just the, the unexpected, what you don't know is out there. And granted, I'm sure Entrepreneur on Fire has turned out way better than any dream you ever had. But just remember how fun that was when just imagining the possibilities? It was fun. There was a lot of excitement, but there's also some dread and some fear in there. Exactly. And there's some some spending money, right? I'm sure you had to buy that <laughs> podcast equipment. I did. I'm sure you probably hired a mentor. There's costs involved, right? Yes. And that's fine. Like you, sometimes you got to spend some money to make some money. But there are some important things to look at from a tax perspective. And I actually see people fall into two extremes with these, what they call startup expenses. Some people think that they can't deduct any of it because their business isn't quote unquote up and running. And other people think I'll just spend as much as I want because it's all a tax deduction. And the IRS being the IRS, it's uh, complicated and somewhere in between. So let's first go over exactly what the startup phase is in the eyes of the IRS. And that is basically anything you're doing before you're, you're officially open for business, meaning you can 
sell either your service or product and, and take on revenue. Okay, so you're starting your research, you're starting your development, you're working with a mentor, you're getting your education, but you're not yet open for business. You can't collect money from clients. That is your startup phase. And it was actually interesting. I was thinking about this. I didn't put this in the income report, but I think a good analogy is uh, having a baby. And it's a big one for me because my wife is expecting at the moment. Oh, wait a second. I didn't know that. John didn't inform you? (laughs) No. I knew. (laughs) Congratulations. Thank you. So yeah, we're having a baby girl in November. (gasps) Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. This is totally new news for me. (laughs) (laughs) That's income support surprises. Yeah, no kidding. Fire Nation, you're hearing it along with me. Yes, and this (laughs) is why you listen listen to the income report. Don't just read it because these uh, these things don't get shared in uh, black and white text. Yeah. Absolutely. A pregnancy is, is a good analogy for the startup phase. You, you have this, the startup phase, which is a pregnancy, and then the baby gets here, and that's when the business is up and running. So the pregnancy is the fun part, the hopes and dreams, all of that. The baby gets here, it's awesome, but then the work's involved, right? So, so think of the pregnancy as a startup phase. And the reason that matters is the IRS says your startup expenses are restricted in how you can deduct them. Okay, so what they say is your first $5,000 that you spend in startup expenses, and again, that's just those costs before your business is officially up and running, you can immediately deduct them. Okay, so if you spend exactly $5,000 on equipment, mentors, whatever, you can deduct that full $5,000 in the year that it happened, even if your business isn't officially up and running yet. After $5,000, it has to be amortized over 15 years, Mm. which is an IRS fancy word of saying spread out over 15 years. Okay, so it gets a little complicated there. So let's look at an example. Let's say that, let's use Entrepreneur on Fire as an example. Let's say that when you were getting started, you spent $20,000 exactly in startup expenses. You, you bought equipment, you hired your mentor, uh, you went to some conferences, you spent $20,000 before you were ever up and running. Okay, $5,000 is immediately deductible in that year. You take that against any other income that you have. The other $15,000 is amortized over 15 years which basically means that you get $1,000 per year for 15 years. Okay, so that first year is going to be a $6,000 deduction. 5000 initial plus the 1000 And then for the next 14 years, you have an extra $1,000 deduction spread out. Did the IRS complicate that enough for you? Yeah, as usual, thanks. <laughs> and it's, I know it's complicated to hear it. It's, it's fairly simple once you see it. If it's not making sense hearing it, maybe go look at the income report, see it in writing. As always, talk to someone, talk to a professional before you do it. But the, essentially, it's, it's a reason to not go crazy with those costs. I mean, there's a million other reasons not to go crazy. We always talk about it. You don't spend money just to spend money. Spend money on the essentials. But just know after you go over that $5,000, you're going to be very limited in how you deduct that money. Does that make sense? Makes sense. I hear you. To be fair, I'm trying to get my wife to limit the, the money she's spending in the startup phase of our baby. <laughs> <laughs> no more clothes. I'm failing miserably. <laughs> Apparently, girls come with much more expenses, I'm, I'm finding out. Wait, you can't just reuse the clothes that you had for your twin boys? Come on. Oh, that's, I, I said the same <laughs> thing, but no, apparently not. Uh, 
Well, Fire Nation, you're hearing it from the lips of Josh Bowerly, equating taxes to having babies and more. And you can get this kind of content on his website, cpaonfire.com. He has free videos there. He has an email address, josh at cpaonfire.com. You can just reach out, say hello, say thank you for all the value bombs that you drop on Entrepreneur on Fire and, you know, ask him a question. And, you know, who knows? If you're lucky, maybe as a space for a client or two, but I will tell you firsthand, this guy's a busy, busy dude. But Josh, how do you want to close this section down with a final call to action for Fire Nation? Yeah, you know, we still have our free video course, and this is actually very applicable to people who are in the startup phase because choosing the right business entities is very important in that. So if they want to check out that free course, we're going to explain exactly what the pluses and minuses are of each entity, how to know which one's right for you. Just go to cpmfire.com slash Fire Nation. Josh, you have been on fire per usual. Thank you for hanging out, my friend. Now get back to doing whatever it is that you do when it's not tax season, and we will catch you in a month for the July Income Report. So Fire Nation, we're going to be moving on now. And I know I've kind of been teasing a little bit that we have a pretty big struggle, a pretty big obstacle, a big challenge that we faced in the month of June. And, you know, I mean, it's actually uh, much more than just the month of June, but kind of came to a head in the month of June. But before we get into that, I'm going to share with you a little uh, uh, a little fun that I had in the month of June. I mean, I went back to Maine for a reason, you know, to spend time with family on the lake and to enjoy and to see old fa- uh, old friends. And and that actually started with a bang on June 1st. I flew directly into Providence College, uh, which is in Rhode Island, in Providence, Rhode Island for my 15-year college reunion. It's kind of mind-boggling to think that I have actually been out of college four times longer than I was actually in college. Because, you know, for me at least, college just seemed to be such a big, huge, massive part of my life where so many things happened and so many friends were made and so many memories are still existing in my head from those four years. But here I am 15 years later going back uh, to Providence College to, to meet up with friends and uh, old teachers, et cetera. And I actually was really honored to be asked to come in a day early, um, meet with the head of the business department at Providence College, get a tour of the new business facility, and actually you know, be offered the opportunity to p- potentially become an adjunct professor in entrepreneurship at PC, at Providence College, which is super cool. It's a new program they're designing, and it would mean I might come in a couple times physically per year, uh, per semester, I should say, to, t- uh, to speak and to, to teach, and um, three or four times virtually as well to do the same about entrepreneurship because, you know, PC is recognizing, like many other great colleges and universities around the country and world, that entrepreneurship is here and it's here to stay and people are really excited about the opportunities that it gives them to pursue their curiosities, to pursue their passions, to do something that is meaningful to them without having to go through that corporate ladder or graduate school, wherever that might be. Because again, that path is going to be for some people all the time, but entrepreneurship is going to be another path for others at some point as well, especially for people that are listening to this show. So long story short, if you haven't been over to eofire.com slash income 46, because this is our 46th income report, um, you'll miss out a little bit because there's an amazing photo 
um, taken of me sitting on top of the entrance to Providence College, where it's just a beautiful bluebird day in New England. And then a picture of myself, and there's actually three of my roommates. Um, that we, I actually had a total of five roommates. We had a six-person apartment for my last two years at Providence College, and we um, all stayed in the same place for those two years. And one of my roommates there is actually holding his child, which is, you know, cool. He's not, he's not that, he's not a baby. Like he's a little boy and it's just crazy that we've really grown up, but you know, you can see us. We're still there. We're still having fun, drinking some beers, you know, out at the courtyard and, um, having a great barbecue and just, you know, it it was a weekend of fun. It was a weekend of sun. It was a weekend of friends. And, you know, I really hope that you fire nation, have that same summer in store for you because after my great reunion weekend, I went back to Maine, got to hang out at the lake. Kate was there for a week. We had a blast. We went up to Portland, which is a great little city. Got to meet up with some old friends, see my sister and her or her, her children, my niece and nephew, and get to really just kind of walk around, do some great cool things. We'll be talking about it a little bit more detail later, but I've been rambling for a little bit, so I kind of want to pass this over to Kate. And Kate, you can maybe chat a little bit about you know your week in Maine and then your time in Cali. I'll talk a little bit more about Maine, and then uh, we'll move into some of the struggles that we had in the month of June. Well, Fire Nation, I will confirm that this is an epic picture of John at Providence College. (laughs) That's such a cool picture. And you have like the brick building in the background. Like it's just so New England. Yeah, so New England. Um, Really, really cool. Uh, It was great to go back to Maine. I love Maine so much. Um, I I actually probably never felt as though I could like Maine as much as I do. (laughs) Like when you first talked me into moving out there. (laughs) Um, But I've really grown a strong love for Maine. It's such a beautiful state. And your parents have such an amazing setup. I know we've talked about it here on the Income Report before. But you're just on this amazing lake. It's so peaceful. There's loons and they make these just like beautiful noises when the sun's going down. And uh, it's just such a amazing place to be. It just really embodies like that relaxation and really helpful for unplugging every now and then. Although, as you said, John, at the beginning of this income report, well, it was a lot of vacation time. Let's be real. Um, we did we did work a significant amount. I mean, that's another great thing about your parents' place in Maine is that we have the shack, the cottage that we stay in, and it's very conducive to, we basically set up our office in there, um, which is very helpful for kind of keeping up with everything. But so my one of my favorite parts of being in Maine is um, kind of goes back to when we were living in Maine five years ago now. Yeah. Is it five years? Yeah. Uh-huh. Wow. But one of my favorite pastimes of us being in Maine together is the weekends that we would make the drive up to Sugarloaf because your parents, again, have this. Your parents have all these amazing properties, (laughs) Um, an amazing property on Sugarloaf, a ski on ski off cabin where we would spend every weekend during the winter. And on our drives up there, you and I both kind of got a little bit hooked on uh, this podcast called The Moth which is all about storytelling. Like it takes um, individuals and they have like eight to 12 minutes to tell a story. And because of the amount of time that they have and because of the process that you have to go through to even be able to tell your story on the moth, they're very powerful stories. So I just very fondly remember our drives, listening to the moth. We were both really into it. And so uh, one of my favorite things about this week that we were in Maine together is that we actually got to go see the moth live because 
they do live performances around the world, I think, right? They go international even, don't they? International, baby. Yeah. So um, if you haven't checked out the Moth podcast, it's really great production and just really powerful. They do like themes for each of their episodes. So there might be two or three storytellers per episode, but all of them are kind of following like a common theme. And it's stories of all kinds. It's not just about business. It's about like, it's about life. It's about struggle. It's about um, success. And I think they said at the beginning of it, you will laugh, cry, and like be scared all like in one person's (laughs) story, which was so true. I mean, all of them are just really great at tugging at your emotions. So it was just a really cool experience to kind of be back in Maine together to go see the moth live, this podcast that we used to listen to every single weekend. Um, and we got to go see Mama Mia with your parents at the Agungua Playhouse. That was really great too. I knew nothing about Mama Mia. Was that like your first time or experience with it? Or- I had a little exposure, but uh, no, it was my first like real sit down watching the whole thing through. Yeah, I guess we were kind of artsy in Maine this time. We're going to plays <laughs> and we're going to live podcasts. And um, so, yeah, it was a really, really great time. Like you said, um, I was just in Maine for a week and then I jetted out to San Diego. I spent um, one week in Las Vegas and in Carlsbad camping. So did like four days in Las Vegas with my entire family. Such a blast. Um, spent it with my parents, my sister, her husband, my niece and my nephew And I was kind of thinking like that was my first time in Vegas with kids, Um, but I haven't been to Vegas in, I don't know, probably like five years or something like that. And uh, and it was actually a complete blast. Like we took them to Circus Circus and they were so obsessed with that. Um, We did lots of pool time. We did lots of walking around, which I love to do in Las Vegas because there's so much beautiful architecture and like these extravagant designs. And it's just really cool to see the creativity at play there. And um, yeah, camping in Carlsbad, there's this amazing campsite that's right on the beach there, had beautiful weather, spent all day down at the beach with the kids. Of course, they love that as well. My niece is now body surfing. I'm like, what the heck? It (laughs) seems like not that long ago, she could barely even talk. And now she's just doing like all these big girl things, which is so crazy. Um, And even my nephew, too. He was just like out in the waves and pretty impressive. Um, so yeah, and then the last week I just spent it hanging out with my family in San Diego, which was awesome. Always great to have that quality time. Um, I've mentioned it probably a few times on and off here on the podcast and in the posts that I write and stuff, um, coming to Puerto Rico, you know, leaving family was by far the toughest thing for me. So I always really enjoy that time that I get to spend with them. Virtual offices, Fire Nation, are great because Kate was able to do her thing in Cali and I was able to do my thing in Maine, spending time with family and friends. But at the same time, you know, we're able to not have our business just kind of go into the drain, so to speak. And I actually have a really cool picture on the income report of my virtual office in Maine. So if you haven't checked it out yet, eofire.com slash income 46. And that literally is the spot where I spent hours on every day that was sunny in Maine because it was just the perfect spot. The Wi-Fi reached out there at the end of my parents' dock on a lake in Maine. It was just idyllic and I got a lot of work done. You know, I wasn't like pounding away doing this and that, but I was, you know, keeping up on emails, coming up with ideas for the future, just, you know, reading for pleasure, reading for um, work and business and learning. So just a lot of cool things can happen 
this day and age virtually, which I think is super cool. And, you know, I was able to fit in a couple pretty neat uh, experiences as well. And Kate, that just made me think we have to link up uh, my Ninja Warrior video on this. I, I can't believe oh, that's definitely. not there yet. It's like, I yeah. think it's like, it's like a four or five minutes collage that I put together, Fire Nation, of um, this networking event that was happening in Maine. It was at a Ninja Warrior gym. And, you know, I went there and I wasn't experienced with any of this stuff. I was always a fan of like Ninja Warrior stuff, but I never really had the opportunity to test it out. So I went there and I was axe throwing and I was... Um, doing these like parallel bar jumps, they're called. I was running up the sides of walls and leaping and pulling myself up on the platforms, 14 and a half feet high, which you'll see in this video. And, you know, it's just a nice little collage video that I made real quick with a pretty uh, funny song as well that's actually titled Portland, Maine. Uh, so I definitely recommend checking it out. We will link it up right under the main section as well, right where we have a, a, a spot that we talk a little bit about the American Ninja Warrior Gym. But that was all in connection to Maine Startup and Create Week. And they actually asked me to be the closing keynote of that event. So on Friday, the final day, I went in and I was a closing keynote at Main Startup and Create Week. And it was just cool to present um, at the Main College of Art, which is where it was held, right in Portland, Maine, you know, in front of mostly fellow Mainers. You know, there were some people from New England that had make, made the drive as well, but mostly Mainers. Uh, just to speak uh, about my journey and, you know, frankly, why I left Maine. Back in 2013 now, but why I potentially would go back to Maine, you know, in 2017, uh, because, you know, things have changed for the better and, and why Maine no longer needs to be this place where people have this exodus, but it can actually be a destination. And so it was really cool to see what's started up and what's been created over the years. And Maine Startup and Create Week was a great realization for me that Maine is really moving strong in this, in this direction. In fact, um, you know, the, um, future governor of Maine, Adam Cody, um, came to my house in, in Lyman, Maine, because he had heard of me through the, through the grapevines and um, admired what I had built and what I created and being from Maine. And he really wants to, to showcase me and my journey through being a veteran, then a successful entrepreneur, um, as he's going around to different parts of Maine, especially rural parts of Maine, to say, hey, like you don't have to live near or in Portland or Kennebunk or Kittery to to be financially successful in Maine. Like you can do this um, if you have a will, if you have a way. And and I'm going to be really honored to kind of be the face of that. Well, at the same time, you know, you know, he's saying, "Hey, John, what are we going to do to get you back to Maine?" And I'm like. Well, there's a pretty long list of things, but we can talk about that later, especially if uh, you have the right, uh, right hands of Mother Nature would be a big thing as well. But that's for, another, that's for another income report, Fire Nation. But overall, it was a great month, uh, Kate and myself, in the virtual offices that we now live in, which are really essentially our laptops and, and an internet connection. Um, and you know, I definitely highly recommend checking out the income reports. You can see um, the actual highlights from Main Startup and Create Week, we've linked that up, so you'll, you'll get to see a, a little brief clip from my talk there, as well as my little Ninja Warrior experience, which was a lot of fun. We have a picture of the Moth stage, again, my virtual office, you know, all the PC, Providence College pictures as well, and uh, all that jazz. And Kate, unless you have anything else that you want to talk about as far as why uh, June was so awesome... I'll definitely let you lead with that. But uh, if you don't, or after you're finished wrapping that part up, let's talk about our farewell to Fire Up. And Fire Nation, this is the segue into a couple 
of our losses, of our struggles, of our obstacles that we faced in June? Yeah, before I dive into that, I actually do kind of just want to like put this virtual office idea into perspective. Um, John, you and I have been, well, you launched EO Fire now, oh my goodness, five years ago, like five years ago, you had the idea already. Um, and so when we talk about, you know, these virtual offices that that we're able to enjoy and that we're incredibly grateful for and that we still work very hard to maintain today, you know, we're bringing our laptop to Maine, we're going to San Diego, we're going to Vegas, we're camping, we're doing all these amazing things. But that's been a long time in the works. And when I think about back to the back to like the summertime of 2012, when you first came up with this idea, I'm then kind of like trying to think of when we actually took our first trip um, because we had to work really, really hard. And, you know, Josh talks about that startup phase. Uh, You, of course, laid most of the groundwork there on your own while I was still working in corporate America. But I think the first real trip that you and I took together where we were taking time off from the business and we were able to do like these trips where where we have a virtual office was in May of 2014. Yeah, it was like a year and a half. Is that right? Yeah. And that was our Europe trip, right? So, I mean, today, because we've worked really hard and we've created this foundation, we have tons of systems set up. We have an incredible team here. I just didn't want it to, I I wanted to put it in perspective because you don't go from just like an idea and starting a business to then being able to like travel and be on your laptop. Um, We've done a lot of setup to get where we are today. And, And of course, we still do a lot of maintaining in between those trips to make sure that our systems are optimal and that our team is running well and and all that good stuff. So just wanted to add that before we get into our farewell to fire up, um, which, you know, was a tough decision. Uh, A couple months ago, we announced in one of our income reports that we were working on a new project that was fire up, which was a suite of website apps that we were creating with a partner, JC, to um, the main idea of the apps were to improve email opt-in conversions. Um, essentially, what happens with your website visitors? Like, how do you get them from just being a visitor of your website to an actual lead um, and eventually a sale? And uh, we were very MVP with this. Lots of conversations with JC and his team in the, again, startup phase. Wow, we kind of have a startup phase thing going this uh, income report. Um, But we were very clear about our goal and our vision where we wanted it to go. But we were also very realistic that we weren't going to spend, you know, tons of hours and tons of money putting this together. We really wanted that proof of concept. And Fire Nation, you hear us talk about this a lot. Proof of concept is so important because otherwise you may end up spending a ton of time and a ton of money creating something that people don't want and that people aren't willing to pay money for. Um, But fortunately, with a lot of checkpoints that we had in place, we were able to kind of recognize the early signs with FireUp that it really wasn't gaining the traction that we had hoped. And, um, you know, when you have analytics in place, when you have data that you can use and um, and when you're checking in on these things often, uh, which requires a good project manager, I talked about that the entire season six of my podcast, Kate's Take, um, you know, those are such integral steps to creating something, to getting proof of concept, to, you know, taking an idea and making it a reality. And, you know, unfortunately, in this case, we did take an idea, we did make it a reality. It just wasn't a reality that was going to stick. So 
um, you know, we ended up kind of closing out fire up, which, um, we still have a, a couple of phone calls and conversations to have about that. But John, what would you kind of say like about our experience with fire up and, you know, maybe what fire nation could take away from that? Yeah. The big takeaway for me, fire nation is that our most viable asset is time. And so many people just want to kind of be behind this wall, creating something and then saying, okay, after months and months and, you know, thousands or tens of thousands of dollars, then they just like release it to the world and say, okay, world, you know, now it's your turn and they don't get the response that they want. Um, that's not an MVP. That's not a minimally viable product. That's not the lean startup method that is critical because we frankly, you know, we don't know, you know, we can see the clues, we can do what we can to have the best ideas possible, but we don't really know how our audience or just how the general public is going to react to something until they actually have the opportunity to react to something. And and this is just a critical mistake that so many people make. And it's something that we didn't want to make with Fire Up. So, you know, we definitely have spent a good amount of time and a good amount of energy and bandwidth creating this. But along the way, it was all MVP. Like it wasn't our main focus. It wasn't JC's main focus and his team. It was just, okay, let's get it out there. Let's let the audience know that we're building something and let's see if there's this huge groundswell of support and excitement. And if there is, then we'll go all in. And if there isn't, then we'll pull back. And guess what, Fire Nation? Frankly, there wasn't. If you're listening right now, you probably didn't go to fireup.co and sign up um, to check out more about these services. And guess what? Because of you and others like you, you told us that this wasn't something that you were that excited about. So thank you. And I mean that seriously. Like, thank you because I don't want to create something that can't serve a lot, lot of people. So this is always how we're going to be tackling these situations and these opportunities that come our way is saying, hey, let's dip our toes in the water. Let's see if it's something that gets a lot of people excited. If so, then we'll dedicate more time, more energy, more resources. But if not, let's shift, let's adjust, let's adjust, let's pivot, let's go in a different direction. And by the way, we have a couple really huge directions that we're moving Entrepreneur on Fire and other things that we're doing in life in general. So, you know, we really want to make sure that we're taking that right step, that we're choosing that right path. So, you know, that's kind of how I want to sum it up, Kate. And if you want to kind of close down this section, then we can move on to the next part, you know, which is our merchant roadblock. Yeah, I just want to reiterate that, you know, you shouldn't be afraid to say goodbye to a project or something else that you're working on in your business if you know it's not working. And, you know, you can definitely take a step back and honestly, in your heart, know if you're like kind of trying to convince yourself that like maybe it's not really working, but like you really, really want it to. So you're going to stick with it. Um, You know, there's a difference between that and just like then saying, okay, you know what, actually, I know in my heart that this isn't working. Um, You know, don't have that sunk cost bias to where you feel like I've been working on this for such a long time, and I wanted it to work so, so bad. Um, So I feel like I just have to because I've, I've already committed all these resources and all these things, you know, you shouldn't be afraid to say goodbye to something you know, it's not working. And that's why it's so important, again, to have those analytics to have that data in place, to have goals in place so that when you get to a point when you're saying, okay, this is a serious checkpoint right now, like where are we at? For us, we had those goals, we had, um, you know, numbers that we wanted to hit. And I don't just mean monetary numbers. I mean, like, how many people have expressed interest in this? How many people have actually created a fire up account? 
um, we had all of these numbers in mind so that even though it was a tough decision to say goodbye to FireUp, it wasn't tough to look at the data and say, look at what this data is telling us. So really, really important to um, make sure that you have that laid out as you start your new project so that you have that to go back to. So gosh, okay, that was number one, like, um, you know, huge lesson learned and, you know, not something that turned out the way that we had hoped. So um, of course, we want to share all sides of business life in our income reports. And another thing that was a huge struggle for us and has been for several months now is the merchant roadblock that you mentioned, John, um, which definitely taught us that <laughs> moving ourselves and our business to Puerto Rico involves way more moving pieces than we had anticipated. Because um, we knew that it wasn't going to be easy, obviously. I mean, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it, right? But, you know, we knew that there are a lot of unknowns. We just didn't really know that here we are, having been in Puerto Rico for over a year, and we're still hitting these roadblocks. Um, of course, it's amazing. You give um, you give a lot to get a lot. I mean, Puerto Rico is beautiful. It's amazing. We have a, a really great community of entrepreneurs and great friends down here. Um, and, you know, that comes with uh, sacrifice and it comes with struggle. And one of the bigger roadblocks that we've faced since our move, so this has been going on for over a year now, um, has to do with our merchant account. And so um, your merchant account is a service that pays you after your customer's credit card has been charged. And this has always been like such a confusing thing for me because I'm like, wait a second, why do we need a, an, an order form and a processor and a merchant and like all these things? Like, why can't somebody just help us accept the money from our customers so that we can give them a product or a service? Um, so essentially how it works, if you like really break it down. So you're an online business, you accept online payments for potentially digital goods and services, your time or an online community or something like that. So what happens is your customer pays for the product or service from an online form. Then that payment is quote unquote processed by your payment processor. We use authorize.net. Then the payment processor sends an approval code to your merchant. That's when your merchant will actually charge the customer. And then once the customer is successfully charged, then your merchant sends you the money. So like really confusing, right? It took me a really long time to actually understand this. Um, over the past year, I've gotten to understand it very well, as you're about to find out. Um, now, there are a lot of payment processors that make this really super simple, but it just depends on your business setup. So, you know, some of those super easy to use payment systems are things like if you have a Shopify site or if you sell on Amazon or maybe you've heard of Stripe before. PayPal, of course, is one of them. When you use a service like that, you have kind of like this gateway to selling your products. The processor and the merchant and everything's kind of all bundled up into this one service. There are these kind of all-in-ones, if you will. Um, but, you know, the requirement of our business being here in Puerto Rico, it's been really tough to find that simple solution because a lot of those services like Stripe, um, you know, like PayPal, they don't necessarily offer or support that in Puerto Rico. So about a year ago, as we're getting things set up, we're moving here, we want to move our, our business here. Um, we got contacted by somebody who told us that Heartland was definitely the merchant provider for us. Like they were set up, they could um, support Puerto Rico, we'd be in great hands. 
Um, and of course, the honeymoon phase of our relationship with Harlan was amazing. They were great. They were taking us by the hand. They were taking us through all the steps. Like everything seemed amazing. Um, but after the honeymoon phase, not so much. And like, it's easy to kind of tell yourself in these times, like it's all part of being an entrepreneur. You're running your own business. You're going to face these things. But you probably know just as well as me that (laughs) even though you could tell yourself that, like it doesn't always make you feel better. Um, And this is, I alluded before, I mean, this really is, this whole situation is the toughest, most challenging things that I've dealt with since becoming an entrepreneur, like hands down. Um, I even get like, I get emotional talking about it because it's, (laughs) it's been such a pain. Like at one point I told John, I was like, that's it. I'm creating some type of payment system that can support people in Puerto Rico because it's just been, you know, one of those things that I've spent so much time on. And, um, you know, what it came down to is Heartland couldn't handle Puerto Rico like they told us. And so they ended up passing us off to another merchant company called Global. And um, that switch was less than desirable altogether. Um, There was really bad communication about it. Um, Our American Express transactions weren't being settled, which we didn't find out right away. Our Discover cards were being declined, which we didn't find out right away. Our payment processor was actually totally shut down at one point. Like our authorized.net account was canceled without us ever knowing about it. That was causing every one of our online payments to be declined. Um, We had two merchant accounts open for us without our like anybody asking us if we wanted two accounts. Um, The list goes on. I mean, I'm just talking like an entrepreneurial nightmare. And the worst part about all of this and why it was just like such a disaster (laughs) is that none of the things that I'm talking about were brought to our attention by any of these companies. Like we had to find all of this out for ourselves literally starting from square one and just like, Hey, that's kind of strange that like three payments were declined today. And now that I'm looking at all three payments, it it can't be a coincidence that all three card types are discover cards. Like what's going on here or a month later seeing like the actual amounts that were being paid out in our bank account don't match up with the payments that I'm seeing through our order forms. Like, okay, let's backtrack here. Okay, that can't be a coincidence that all of those payments were all American Express payments. Like, you can imagine that finding this stuff out on your own after months and months and months of a company telling you that they could take care of you and support you is incredibly disheartening. It's frustrating. Um, I spent over 20 hours on customer service calls trying to get this, trying to get all of this resolved. Um, wow, it was such a doozy. And, you know, in the end, it turned out like we have our merchant account with global. But in the meantime, we've had to open up an independent merchant account with American Express. So now we have two merchants. Um, We were going to have to open up a third with Discover. But we finally just said, like, we have to draw the line. Unfortunately, we can't accept Discover cards anymore. Um, Yeah, it, it was... It was a roadblock we weren't expecting. It's a roadblock that you might face on your journey too. Maybe not in the same way. Maybe it's not that your merchant account can't support 
um, your business because of where it's located or, you know, whatever it might be. There are so many different roadblocks that we'll face on our journey. Um, and they make you feel like giving up. I honestly felt like giving up. I, I wanted to just like not have to deal with online payments anymore, which is crazy, right? That's the lifeblood of our business. That's what helps us continue to create what we create and, um, you know, be able to provide what we provide. And a lot of times these things don't make sense. They're frustrating. They feel like a waste of time. It can feel like no one else cares, which I pretty much felt this entire time. I felt like nobody else cared. I these This 20 hours that I spent on phone calls with support from five different companies, you know, people are passing me around. They're saying that it's not their responsibility. They're telling me that I need to contact somebody else. Um, I felt helpless, angry, upset. And it's the type of challenge that we're going to face on our journey. And I truly believe that it's this type of challenge that sets successful entrepreneurs apart because we don't give up and and we don't say we're just not going to accept online payments anymore. I mean, this is something that is is a true um, struggle and a challenge. And you know, never forget this is a huge lesson learned for me again. Um, never forget that as a business owner, you have to take one hundred percent ownership and responsibility for what's happening in your business. I feel like this, uh, I couldn't give a better example than this because here we are missing payments, cards are being declined. And if we wouldn't have been paying attention, uh, nobody would have ever noticed it and nobody would have ever helped us out with it. So you have to take ownership and responsibility. You have to have systems set up and in place. So, you know, this is something that could have maybe not now, maybe not next month, maybe not next year, but this is something that could have ended up you know, down the line, sinking our business and um, as really eye-opening and um, intense to be faced with something like that. Well, Fire Nation, you can hear the frustration in Kate's voice, the emotion that these type of things um, just evoke, because that, that is the reality is that, you know, these massive conglomerates, these merchants, these gateways, you know, they're, they're just faceless corporations. And, you know, I, I just can't talk highly of them because they don't deserve it. And that's honestly why companies like Stripe, companies like Braintree, and why other companies even like Shopify has created Shopify payments and Infusionsoft has created Infusionsoft payments because they see the opportunity to come in and to take business from these huge behemoth, you know, just... I'm trying to find even the right adjective, but just these like sloth-like companies that just have, you know, mindless drones in the cubicles, not caring, looking to do anything they can to pass the buck and nobody having any kind of accountability or care for you or your business. And again, that's why Stripe, Braintree, um, you know, these companies like Shopify Payments and FusionSoft Payments have come in and have been able to start taking market share for this very reason because they do in a lot of scenarios, have the more entrepreneurial understanding and care. But unfortunately, when you add the Puerto Rico to the mix, that's kind of where the death knell kind of is because they do care, but they know that the majority of their business is in the United States. And so they're going to have to focus on capturing and perfecting that continent first before they move to you know territories like Puerto Rico, et cetera. So that was kind of just this 
this mix, this deadly mix of cocktails that we were dealing with, unfortunately. But, you know, hey, we, we fought through it. We're still going to be fighting through it. And there's going to be other obstacles and challenges ahead. And we hope that this has been a lesson of sorts uh, for you, Fire Nation. Hope that you can, again, avoid some of these potholes. Uh, but let's move into the June 2017 income breakdown. This is where I get a little more specific about the money we made and how we made it. And with our product and service income, it was $117,000. So that was um, a total of $28,000 for our Freedom and Mastery Journal sales. Uh, specifically, within that, we did $3,500 on our Shopify store for the Freedom Journal and $11,000 for the Freedom Journal uh, sales on Amazon. And then we did $3,700 for Mastery Journal sales and $9,900 for Amazon sales for a total of $13,000 there. So it's just kind of really fascinating to me that every month, so far at least, it seems that the Freedom and Mastery Journal have been super, super similar in sales where it's $15,000 for the Freedom Journal, $13,000 for the Mastery Journal, uh, very, very close in total numbers of sales as well. So it's just really cool to see how well those are working together. And of course, if you're listening to this right now, I do have that special, special gift for just podcast listeners only. If you uh, visit themasteryjournal.com or thefreedomjournal.com and check out with one or both of your journals of choice, Enter promo code podcast for a nice little discount. Uh, Podcasters Paradise brought in $30,500. We did $51,500 for sponsorship revenue. Uh, $5,700 for podcast websites. So that uh, made up a majority of the $117,000 that we made in uh, June for our products and uh, services income. Our affiliate revenue was $61,000 with ClickFunnels just, as usual, really leading the way. We did $51,000 in affiliate revenue with ClickFunnels. Just absolutely mind-blowing. Um, we had courses for entrepreneurs. We had David's, uh, Simon Garland's Create Us Some Online Courses, brought in $3,500. Um, Ramit Sethi, almost $2,000, and then a bunch of other uh, smaller dollar amounts. You can check out at eofire.com slash income 46. Our total business expenses were $40,000. And again, we list all of those out in detail over on the actual post. So check that out for sure because uh, they are actually a total of $43,000, sorry. So um, that gave our total net profits to $135,301. So what I kind of want to move into now is the biggest lesson learned. And this is kind of where Kate jumps back in and talks about don't rush practice patience. So Kate, what do you have for us? We're just full of lessons learned in this income report. (laughs) Um, but this kind of, you know, uh, is on the tail of the whole merchant disaster and experience. And um, it just really made me realize throughout that experience and, you know, what I'm sure will continue to be, um, you know, learning new things about this setup and how it's going to work best for us is that patience comes in a lot of shapes and sizes. Um, you know, you see, uh, you, you might feel like this frustration or this rush or this annoyance when you're outlined in the grocery store, when you're driving in traffic or, um, business related, you know, you're setting up your first funnel, you're, you're doing your first product launch. Um, but what I've learned from, you know, kind of this, like, don't rush practice patience is that 
Life is so much better when we're able to separate ourselves from whatever frustration or anger might come as a result of the waiting game. And and we all have the, the opportunity to do that. And I don't think that I learned that until, you know, maybe within the you know, past handful of years since becoming an entrepreneur, I finally realized that we have that ability that even when we are frustrated or when when we are angry, I thought that that was always just like that came together with your actions, that if you're feeling that way, that's the way that you acted. And um, we have the opportunity to separate those things. We have the opportunity to feel frustrated or feel angry, but not, not then not have to act that way. Um, and I saw this quote from Joyce Meyer within the past like month and, and it just felt like it came at the perfect time. She says, patience is not simply the ability to wait. It's how we behave while we're waiting. So just the same way that you can't move the line at the grocery store, you can't dictate the traffic patterns, um, or, you, you know, you don't know how to set up a funnel before you actually set up a funnel. You can't rush your business journey. You can't rush these roadblocks. You can't rush you know, falling down and and learning lessons. It's all part of the journey. And it's such an important part of the journey because it makes us stronger and it makes us more resilient and it gives us more drive. Like I've never had more drive to have a system together for our finances before. I've never had more drive to figure out what the best way to set up our online payment system is. And it's because of these roadblocks that we're facing that I feel that way. So just a reminder to take a step back, appreciate what it is that you're creating, work hard, power through these roadblocks, get back up after you've been knocked down, and never let a lack of patience be the reason that you quit. Well, Fire Nation, I couldn't say it any better, so I'm just going to say adieu, and we hope that you have a wonderful July, a wonderful summer, or whenever it is you're listening to this income report. I hope it's wonderful in your world and that this has been of some value for you. And until next time, Fire Nation, I'll catch you on the flip side.